Howdy, howdy, my friends, and welcome to episode 243 of Keeping Up with the King, our series on the book of Matthew. We have been going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, chapter by chapter, talking about Jesus as presented to us by Matthew, a Jew. He's writing to Jews about the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And one of the things we've discussed a lot as we've gone through this is how Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he is the unexpected king of the Jews. And we see this a lot throughout the uh, throughout the book of Matthew. And we've talked about it quite a bit. If this is your first or second time listening, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning and uh, listen all the way through. The, the book of Matthew was written in order uh, by Matthew, and it's written in the order it's written in for a reason. And I think that uh, oftentimes what happens when we read these things, especially like... Um, some of the things we're going to read today, it's really easy when we read them out of order uh, to miss what they're talking about because when we, we lose that context and it's important to know the context so that we um, can interpret these things and as best we can to understand what the author is saying. Again, our goal is not to discover what this says to me, but our goal is to discover what the author is saying. So, uh, let's start here in Matthew 25. Finally, we've made it to Matthew 25. Now, it's good to know what we've, what's, what we've been talking about because Jesus has been speaking uh, to his disciples about the end of the age, about his return and, uh, and those, those things. So that's the topic he's been talking about. And he was talking about being ready for his return. And so keep that in mind as we start chapter 25 because he's still talking. So he says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, in the Jewish wedding ceremony, uh, a little different than ours, um, apparently had three different parts. They had the initial agreement between, uh, between the parents, between fathers that their children would marry. Then they would have a ceremony and there would be a betrothal. And at that point, they're officially m married, yet they're not complete because they haven't completed the marriage ceremony. And that sometimes would be as, as long as a year or so later that they would have that. And so um, that's, uh, that's why there's some, I think, probably some things that may be confusing when you read about Joseph and Mary and how Joseph, uh, you know, she's his betrothed. And then he's going to divorce her quietly. And you're like, wait a minute, betrothed, that, doesn't that mean like engaged? Wait, what's going on here? Um, and so anyway, uh, if that's ever confused you, maybe it hasn't, but it's confused me in the past. So um, that kind of cleared things up to me. But uh, apparently what would happen is that as they approach that day of that wedding ceremony, the bride would not know the exact day, but the bridegroom would uh, would come and I've even read some things I don't know how accurate it is that the bride the bridegroom didn't decide on what the day was that he was go he would go and during that year he would build onto his father's house a place for his wife and for him and so kind of a neat little picture of Jesus you know uh, being the the uh, bridegroom of the church that he says, I've gone to, you know, I've gone to the father to create a place for you. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the father knowing the day of his return. And, and so some of it fits in nicely into the, 
the picture of the the uh, Jewish wedding. But anyway, there are these ten virgins who have lamps, and apparently their job was to escort the bridegroom to the uh, to the wedding feast. And so uh, that's what we're reading about: these ten virgins who took lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were wise took their lamps. I'm sorry, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So they went, they've got their torch or their lamp, whatever they, whatever happens to be, and they don't have the oil for it to light. It says, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wives, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, I think one of the things that sometimes is an error that that we make, and I say we meaning, well, me and many others. So we, yes, maybe not you, but some of us make when we interpret the parables is sometimes we start looking for meaning in every little detail. We start looking for meaning of like, wait, wait, these are 10 virgins. Why 10? Why virgins? Why? And we start, we start looking for all these, um, every little detail to have some deep meaning. And, and I really think that there's sometimes an error in that. And that sometimes we start looking for things that aren't there and we start filling in things uh, that aren't there, trying to make it all work when the point of the story is what's important. And so here we have the story of these 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 uh, women, and some of them are ready when the bridegroom comes, and some of them are not. And when he when he comes calling, they go out and like, oh, now he's here. It's time to go find it. But the point is, it's too late. Even though they say, well, we're going there now. They show up, you know. They show up, and he says, you know, I don't I don't know you, which is a weird thing to say, but uh, it fits into um, more of the totality of, of the Bible of, um, you know, we hear this, this, uh, the same thing when, you know, Jesus talks about those who say, you know, didn't we cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And he says, you know, alas, I never knew you. But what we're told at the end of this parable is this, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so this sometimes I think, Maybe people read too much into it, but there's multiple parables here giving the same idea of being ready. Now, it seems that these both, they're both groups of people, both groups are all looking, um, they all understand the bridegroom's coming. They all understand that. But half of them are prepared and half of them are not. Um, you know, some of the half of them have the oil, half of them ha don't. Uh, when I was in college, I had a teacher a secular college who told this story and she said, you know, I guess what Jesus is saying is you need to have oil, whatever that is, be a good person or whatever. And 
and at that point, I just started going to uh, going to church and studying the Bible. And I remember writing in my weekly paper to the teacher, you know, the oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. These five have the Holy Spirit; those five don't. And uh, I think there's there's truthfulness to that because the oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and those five are the five who are saved, and the other five are not. They don't have the Holy Spirit, which every person who believes has the Holy Spirit. And so I think what the picture is here is a little different maybe than um, the previous one of the servant that just practices wickedness. These are five who are ready and five who are not. And I've encountered this, and maybe you have too. I remember um, years ago talking with some kids at a high school camp, and uh, one of the kids we were we were talking about living for Jesus. And I knew this, this kid was not, um, and he made no pretense that he was, but in our conversation, uh, it came up like, you know, how many of you believe this is true? Or how many of you believe that is true? Whatever. And he was freely answering the questions. And, and somehow through the conversation, I, I, or another person there asked him like, well, if you believe this is true, why aren't you following him? Why aren't you, why don't you give your life to Jesus? If you believe the Bible is true and you believe Jesus is true, why don't you just follow him? And he said, he said, yeah, I'm going to, when I get done with college, he was a high school senior at the time. He said, I'm going to, when I get out of college, I, I made an agreement with my friend that I wouldn't become a Christian until after college. Cause we really want to enjoy college together, the college life. And I remember thinking like, that's so tragic, you know, and telling him at the time, like, yeah, you think you're going to go enjoy college life, but what you're really going to do is you're going to embrace a lot of things, uh, a lot of sin, a lot of lifestyle that's going to damage you, damage your future marriage, damage your future relationships, maybe ensnare you, and maybe uh, maybe things will become addictions and things that will become uh, lifelong struggles because you have engaged or you have embraced them at a time. You know, people that have never committed certain sins but are tempted to oftentimes discover when they finally give in to that temptation that it's harder to resist the next time. And not just a little harder, but a whole lot harder to resist. Once they start, it's very hard to stop. And the tragic thing is, is here's a person saying, I recognize that Jesus is, is the Son of God. I recognize that he's real, but I'm not going to submit my life to him. I'll wait. I'll do it later when I'm older. And I don't think that's an uncommon attitude. I don't think that's an uncommon attitude at all. And I think that that's pretty much the message here. Watch, therefore, you don't know when he's going to return. So be ready. You might say, hey, I'm going to do it when I get out of college or I'm going to do it when I retire. or I'm going to do it after my kids are grown or whatever silly excuse you're making um, if you're making that excuse. But you don't know. Tomorrow's not promised. You don't know when you're going to stand before Jesus again. So what's the message? The message is be ready. Be ready. How are you ready? Well, by receiving Jesus as your Savior, recognizes him Him as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sin and uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being sealed in the Spirit so that, you, um, so that you're ready when he comes. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time.